Um, well, over this, um, over this Platinum Jubilee weekend, uh, I guess people across the nation, uh, people right across the Commonwealth, right across the world, actually, are celebrating Her Majesty's um, extraordinary achievement, I, I guess, of, of 70 years of serving as our Queen. And, and if there's one word that, that maybe sums up how the Queen has viewed her role over those 70 years, it's the word service, isn't it? She sees her reign as a life of serving others. And, and I, I think it has been actually quite a remarkable service. She's our longest serving monarch ever. Um, there, I think 15 British prime ministers have served during that time. Um, but I, I think it's not only been remarkable in terms of duration, but I think it's been remarkable in terms of diligence as well. I, I think she's, you know, she's classically known for working more than sort of 50-hour weeks for the whole of her life, and, and even in her 90s, um, you know, working 40-hour-plus uh, weeks. I, I think she's worked incredibly hard as a servant, a, a servant queen, a, a fact that hasn't gone unnoticed, um, I, I think, right, across, right around the world. She's been globally praised over the years for her, for her indiligence, for her endurance, for, endurance, for her grace, her humility, uh, the servant-heartedness with which she's, uh, she's reigned. Um, and, and of course, when you do anything well, we know this, uh, don't we? When you do anything well in almost any sphere of life, sports or business or whatever it is, when the, whether you're the head of a business or head of a team or, or, or head of a commonwealth, um, people want to know your secret, don't they? What motivates you? What inspires you? You know, what keeps you going? What are your guiding principles? And, and as we think about our servant queen, you know, after 70 years on the throne... What does that, where does that servant-heartedness come from? You know, not to mention the work ethic or the, the clarity of her vision or her humility or her sense of duty. Where does it come from? What, is, what has shaped and sustained this, this kind of remarkable, I think, head of state as, as she has self-sacrificially served her country with incredible consistence for such a long time? Well, Lord Farmer, who's a, a, a conservative peer, I think hit the nail on the head uh, last week, I think it was, uh, when he asked, how has our Queen been able to be so consistent and gracious to all her subjects over these 70 years? The answer, he said, lies in her continuous confession of her trust and reliance on Jesus, her Saviour, and God, her Father. And, and I think that's right, isn't it? Uh, it's Jesus' teaching that has shaped her. It's Jesus' example that has inspired her. It's Jesus' power that has enabled her to serve um, her, her people in the, in the way that God has called her to do. And actually, we don't need, I think, uh, we don't need Lord Farmer to tell us that because actually, I think the Queen has told us that herself. Um, it, it's re- one of the remarkable things about the Queen, isn't it, is that, that we, there is just so much about her that we just don't know. You know, so many things on which probably wisely she, she decides to make no comment. But actually, I think she has told us repeatedly and pretty clearly that it's Jesus who has shaped and guided and inspired her, her 70 years of servant leadership. And we've seen it in her actions, you know, in how the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control have been, I think, richly displayed in, in her life. Um, and we've heard it in our words as well, as she's repeatedly communicated, quite often in her Christmas addresses, the reality of her own faith in the Lord Jesus, the difference it's made to her life. She, she put it like this in her 2012 Christmas address. This is the time of year when we remember that God sent his only son to serve, not to be served. 
And, and the queen is committed to serving others because she's committed to following the ways of Christ, who himself says that. She was quoting Mark 10, 45. He didn't come to, to serve, but to be served. Uh, didn't come to be served, but to serve uh, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So she's the servant queen, I think, because she follows the servant king. Um, and it's the servant king that she follows that I'd love us to look at this morning from this passage here in, in John's Gospel. But not simply so that we can see what it means for Her Majesty to follow Jesus, but actually so that we can see what it looks like for us to do that too, because that's what this passage is all about. I think there's two events in these, these verses here, which I think together will show us what it means to follow Jesus and then actually challenge us to respond to him rightly, as I think our Queen has done. So let's have a look. Have a look at the first event, which is in uh, verses 1 to 18 of that chapter, where we can see that Jesus serves his disciples and, and in doing so illustrates the cross. So have a look at verse 1. Um, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So that's verse 1 there is, is the context, really, the, the foot washing that, that Jesus is, is about to do. He's doing just before they celebrate the Passover meal together. I think it's quite striking that, that John uh, doesn't choose to write about instituting the Lord's Supper um, here, like all the other gospel writers do. He's got other fish to fry, as it were. He's got other things he wants us to see here instead. But what he does want us to know is that it's at the time of the Passover meal um, that, that this event is taking place. The, the, the time, of course, when Israel remembered God's judgment on Egypt for their rejection of God, if you remember, um, and, and also um, God's rescue of his people through the sacrificial death of a lamb. So it's at that, it's at that time. That, that this is taking place, as they remembered that. And not only does John want us to see that, but he also wants us to see that at this Passover time, Jesus knows that he too is about to die. He knows this. Jesus knew, verse 1, that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. Now, of course, he's known this all along. You know, right throughout Jesus' early ministry, he has known why he's come, what he's come to do, when he's come to do it. Um, in, in fact, in, in previous chapters, like chapter 2 and chapter 7, chapter 8, uh, John has actually told us his hour had not yet come. But now Jesus knows that his hour had come, and that's the, the hour of his death, of course, the hour when uh, he will be lifted up from the earth, as he put it in, in verse 32 of chapter 12, a, a phrase that, that Jesus used, uh, John tells us, um, uh, to, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In other words, he was going to die on a cross. That's why he came, and he knew it. His, his whole earthly life has been lived moving towards it. And now he knew that the hour of his death had come. So friends, I, d I don't know what you'd be thinking if you knew that the hour of your death was imminent. What would be going through your mind? What would you be thinking about? I guess it might be fear and trembling, um, mightn't it? Because that's, that's, that's what we're like, isn't it? When something looms large on the horizon like that, it, it, it consumes our every thought, our, our every moment, doesn't it? But notice in verse 1, not Jesus. 
Okay, he's consumed with love for his own. Verse 1, in other words, his disciples, those who who follow him, those who were in the world, verse 1, but whom he is drawing out of the world. In other words, his, his, his embryo church, if you like. He has loved them all along, and now he talks about loving them to the end. In other words, loving them to the end of his life, to the completion of what he's come to do. And friends, I, I wonder whether you can see Jesus' heart here as, as, as he approaches his, his death. Do you see that? Because he's not consumed with himself, is he? And what he's about to face. He's consumed with love for his disciples. Love that he will demonstrate, actually, with his dying breath. Love that he'll demonstrate by completing what he came to do. Dying in their place on the cross so that they can be cleansed and forgiven and restored. You see, it's on the cross that we see the the final, the utmost declaration of Christ's love as he dies to bring cleansing from sin. But before he goes there, he points to the cross, you know, that, that ultimate demonstration of his love. He points to that as he gets on his knees and washes his disciples' feet. So, uh, verse 2, look, the, the meal is being served. Um, Judas has, has already, under Satan's influence, um, decided that he's going to betray Jesus. But Jesus is fully aware and he's in control of everything that's going on, verse 3. And, and he gets up from the table, he takes off his outer garments, he wraps a, a, a towel around his waist, he fills a bowl with water and starts to wash and then dry the feet of all of the disciples, including Judas, who he knows will betray him. Now, that was a, that was a shocking thing for Jesus to do. You know, uh, roads were hot and dusty, feet were hot and sweaty. <laughs> you know, they wore sandals, of course. And, and so while it was, a, you know, it was a common act of hospitality to have water for, for people's feet, that was common enough, uh, to, to actually undo their sandals and then personally wash their feet, you know, that, that was the kind of uh, uh, odious sort of job you know, that, that only the most menial servants would do. In, in, in fact, the, the, the fact that here the meal seems to be already getting underway and no one's had their feet washed yet suggests that maybe there was nobody menial enough around to do the job. Certainly none of the disciples would would think of doing such a thing. Nobody would. So for Jesus to do it was was shocking. Um, Sure, you've all had that experience, haven't you? Kind of being out somewhere and and needing the loo, and the only option available is a really bad, smelly public toilet. We've all had that experience, haven't we? You know, kind of place where you need to hold your your nose as as you go in. You're you're nervous about what you touch or sit on because it's all so, so filthy. It... Imagine something like, you know, standing outside a place like that, pondering whether you're desperate enough to go in or or whether you're going to chance holding on um, when when a kind of a, you know, a chauffeur driven car pulls up and a member of the royal family steps out and volunteers to to clean the place by hand to make it more hygienic for you. You you know, imagine that. It's uh, that's a laughable scenario, isn't it? Nobody so great would stoop so low. But that's what Jesus does here. As the Son of God, 
clothes himself as a servant and in love and, and in humility does that which was regarded as the most menial act possible, including even washing the feet of the man he knew would betray him. That's, that's a staggering act, isn't it, of, of, of humility and, and of love, isn't it? But, but friends, this is why he came to the, to, the, to the world. He came in humility to serve. Uh, as he said himself, Mark 10, 45, Her Majesty quoted in the, in the Christmas address, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' whole life as, as God in the flesh was to serve those who had rebelled against God, uh, the God who made them and, and loved them and, and gone their own way instead. He came as the servant king to wash, to cleanse his people. And this is what the foot washing is pointing to, isn't it? As verse 6 shows, look, where he gets to Simon Peter, right, ready to wash his feet as well. And, and Peter is in kind of shocked disbelief. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And I'm, I'm sure actually all the other disciples were thinking the same, of course, but Peter sort of voices it. But, but notice Jesus' reply. This is very significant. Look in verse 7. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. So so he's saying that although Peter uh, doesn't understand at the moment why Jesus has to wash his feet, he he will understand afterwards. And what he means by afterwards is is after Jesus has gone to the cross, after his death and his resurrection. In other words, uh, it's going to be after the accomplishment of what the foot washing was pointing to and signifying. Then Peter will understand why Jesus did it. Uh, of course, he, he, he still doesn't get it. He still thinks he knows best. And so he says, verse 8, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus. And we, we can kind of understand why he says that, can't we? If, if, you, if you remember back in chapter 6, Peter realized who Jesus was. To, he said, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And, and we've believed and come to know that you, Jesus, are the, the Holy One of God. In other words, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're, you're God's promised rescuer and, and king. Peter knows who Jesus is, all right. That's why he didn't want him washing his feet. But what Peter doesn't know yet is what Jesus has come to do and how he's come to do it. So he, he simply can't conceive of his Lord, his Savior, doing such a menial act of service. Peter should be doing this for Jesus, not, not Jesus doing it for Peter. And so he's, he's effectively arguing with Jesus, isn't he? He's, he's rejecting what Jesus says and saying, no, Jesus, you're not doing that to me. It's, it's, um, it's actually a little act of rebellion, really, isn't it? He's rejecting what Jesus says. And, and actually, that, that strikes at the heart of, of humanity's problem, if you like, the problem of sin. That, that we reject God and we reject God's king. I, we, we might say that we believe in Jesus in some kind of abstract way, but the Jesus that we believe in is the Jesus that seems right to us. The Jesus that we decide is acceptable to us. So, so he's not a Jesus that we submit to, but a Jesus that kind of submits to us, 
you know, a Jesus that suits us and, and our ideas and how we see things and what we want to do. But just look at Jesus' reply to him in verse 8. Because we see even more clearly here that this, this foot washing exercise is designed to point the disciples to the cross, to, to show them why he came. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. It's a pretty strong statement, actually, isn't it? He's saying, Peter, if I don't wash you, you don't belong to me. If I don't wash you, you've got no future with me. You see, he's using this this foot washing here to teach the disciples about what his impending death on the cross is going to accomplish, which is the cleansing, the washing away of their sin through the death in their place of the sacrificial, the Passover Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, And so he's saying to Peter, and actually he's saying to us this morning as well, Unless you submit to me and let me wash you, you can never belong to me. You can never have a future with me. If we want to belong to Jesus, if we want a future with him, if we want life in him, then we need to submit to him and and to the cleansing work of the cross through which we are washed of our sin and made clean. You see, it's not for us to tell him the basis on which we can have a future with him. (laughs) No, it's for us to submit to the way by which he does offer us a future with him. And that is by accepting our need to be washed by him, to be made clean by him. As we submit to what his foot washing points to, his death in our place as the Passover lamb. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me, Jesus says. Well, look, Peter, of course, he doesn't yet understand that that, uh, uh, Jesus is talking about the cross, but he does understand that Jesus must wash him if he's to have a future with Jesus. So so he says, uh, verse 9, look, Lord, you know, if that's the case, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. You know, it's a cry of faith, isn't it? It's a cry of submission. From Peter, he's, he's horrified at the thought of not belonging to Jesus. And so he says effectively, look, if, if being washed by you is what I need to belong to you, then wash away. <laughs> and not just my feet, but, but my hands and my head as well. To which Jesus replies, look, verse 10, by kind of extending the, the foot washing metaphor to, to make a further point about the cross. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean. In other words, when you go out to someone's house, you know, for a meal, such as this meal that they're going to, you don't need a bath when you arrive. You just need your feet cleaning because you're clean already. And, and it's the same with the washing that, that Jesus has come to do through the cross. Once we come to him for washing, we don't need to keep coming back for more and more washing, you know, again and again every time we sin. We don't go back to square one every, every time we mess up. And so although it's right, of, of course, that we continue to confess our sin to God and we acknowledge our dependence upon him and, and his cross to forgive us for our sin, nevertheless, that's like having your feet cleaned from the muck that you've picked up on the road. You don't need to be completely washed ever again. 
Because that work's a finished work. Once Jesus has made us clean, we stay clean. And you are clean, he says. Do you see, Peter may need uh, Jesus to to teach him about the, the sufficiency of the cross to save him. But Peter now is responding in submission and trust to Jesus, isn't he? Lord, whatever washing you need to give me, just please do it so that I can belong to you. And in response to Peter's faith, Jesus can assure him, you are clean, Peter. Friends, this is what the the cleansing work of Christ on the cross has achieved. When, When we come to Jesus recognizing that we've rebelled against him and gone our own way and ignored him in the world that he's made for us. When when we ask him to forgive us for this and, and we trust in his work on the cross to wash us clean of our sin, well, that is what he does. And it's effective permanently because his work on the cross was a once for all work. Isn't that fabulous? The answer is yes, actually, just... So, you know, could, could, I, could I ask you whether you have submitted yourself to this Jesus and his cleansing work? Have you done that? You know, our queen commends this Jesus to you, I think. Here's how she put it in her 2011 Christmas message. She said, God sent into the world a unique person. Neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. So have have you submitted yourself to this Jesus? Have you let him wash you? Are you confident that Jesus could say of you what he said of Peter here? And you are clean. Because... There's a little sting in the tail here, isn't there, at the end of verse 10. Did you see that? Because he says to Peter, and you are clean, but then he adds, not every one of you. Because he knew, verse 11, who was going to betray him. And it reminds us, doesn't it, that there are plenty of people who are not clean. They might be religious on the outside. Um, They might hang out with the Christians like, like Judas was doing. But in their hearts... They've not submitted to Christ and his cleansing work on the cross. And so they're not clean. They don't belong to him. So what about us? What about you, friend, this this morning? Well, look, Jesus puts his his outer garments back on. He takes his seat. um, And then he teaches them something further from the incident. Why don't you have a look at verse uh, verse 14 with me? If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So the emphasis shifts now, doesn't it, from what Jesus has done for them and and for us um, and and how they and and we should act towards each other. Having been served by Jesus and washed clean, well, we are then to serve one another. 
And that's because what Christ has done for us is to be seen as an example for us to follow. Verse 15, and because no servant is greater than his master and no messenger greater than the one who sent him, verse 16, blessed are you if you follow my example. You see? So so Jesus is both instructing his disciples about the cleansing for sin that his death is going to accomplish, um, you know, as, as he serves us. Uh, even to the point of his death. But at the same time, he's showing us how the same cross provides the example of humble service that is to mark out those who follow him. And again, you know, I think our queen is a remarkable example of that. Um, again, I think it was our 2012 uh, uh, address. She puts it like this. He, that's, that's God, restored love and service to the center of our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, for her to lovingly serve others, it's not a kind of leisure activity, you know, that we we do in our spare time. But it's at the center of our lives. It's the fountain from which all else flows. It's the posture, I think, of her life. And that's because she's seeking to shape her life around the character and the mission of the Lord Jesus. Who, as, as, as these uh, verses here remind us, is seeking to form people who are selfless, people who are others-oriented, who are servant-hearted. And that is regardless of their status or their job or their role. For 70 years, I think she's taken quite literally, seems to me, the fact that no servant, not even a queen, is greater than her master. And, and so what she promised her nation, if you remember, on the, uh, and the Commonwealth on her uh, uh, 21st birthday in 1947, that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service, I think she's been quite remarkably living out over the last 70 years as a, as a servant queen. Indeed, indeed, she repeated it. I don't know whether you picked that up this year in the, the Jubilee letter in in February, when she said, as we mark this anniversary, it gives me great pleasure to renew to you the pledge I gave in 1947 that my life will always be devoted to your service. And, and in doing so, friends, I think she's walking the way of the cross, where, where Jesus gave us both washing from our sin through his death on the cross and also an example of humble service for us to follow. So Jesus washes his disciples' feet and he illustrates the cross. But I just want to look very briefly as we close at verses 18 to 30, where you'll notice Jesus names his betrayer and thus demonstrates his control and our responsibility. So look at verse 17. He's, he said to his disciples that having been served by Jesus, uh, washed by him with, with their sins forgiven, they, as, as his servants and messengers, are to do the same for one another, and, and that as they do that, they'll be blessed. But, Jesus says, verse 18, I don't mean all of you. In other words, not all of you are going to be blessed as you go the way of the cross, as, as my servants and, and my messengers. Because, uh, as he'll go on to say, one of you is going to betray me. But it's that little phrase, look in verse 18, uh, I want you to notice, where he says, I'm not speaking of all of you because I know whom I have chosen. And he's speaking to his 12 disciples here. 
men that he chose, knowing that one of them is going to betray him, but saying, I know whom I've chosen. In other words, choosing Judas, who's going to betray him, that wasn't a mistake on Jesus' part. He knew the disciples he'd chosen. It wasn't a surprise that, Jesus, that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that when he picked him. So why did he choose him? Well, look, middle of verse 18. So that the scripture would be fulfilled, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And of course, eating bread with someone, uh, having a meal with them, was a sign of friendship, a sign of acceptance. And, And lifting his heel against me, literally he's got the sense of kind of someone kicking you backwards in the shins, you know. So, so why did, did Jesus pick Judas as a disciple when he knew that he would betray him? Well, it was to fulfill the scripture, says Jesus, that someone who eats at my table will turn around and kick me in the shins. <laughs> Actually, that's a quote. It's a quote from Psalm 41 and, and verse 9, which Jesus is telling us is a verse that points to him and to his betrayal. Do you see the point? Jesus knew in advance that Judas would betray him. In fact, he chose Judas because he would betray him to fulfill the scriptures. Jesus has come to die, friends. So although Judas is responsible for his own sinful actions, actually it was Jesus who was in control all the time of his own betrayal. And he's telling them all this now, look, verse 19, before it all takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Actually, the word he is, is not in the original there. It simply says that you may believe that I am. And the phrase I am, some of you will know, is a very significant uh, phrase in the scriptures. It's God's name for himself that he used to, to, to Moses and in the Old Testament at the burning bush. And Jesus uses it several times as well as a hint towards his deity. In other words, Jesus is saying here, I'm telling you all this now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will know that I am the I am. <laughs> in other words, I am God. Such, verse 20, such that those who receive the ones I send, in other words, those who receive Jesus' messengers and accept the gospel message that they bring, actually receive Jesus himself. And to receive Jesus through the the message of the gospel is to receive God, the great I am. Well, look, he spells out in verse 21 what he's been alluding to. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And and all the disciples, I'm sure, are kind of looking around at each other because they don't know who it is. And and presumably Judas is not yet going to fess up himself. But Jesus knows. So Peter motions to one of the other disciples, the the one whom Jesus loved, verse 23, which is probably John, uh, who's who's writing this gospel. And he says to him, ask Jesus who he's talking about. And so he does, verse 25, and Jesus says, it's the one I give this morsel of bread to. And and he gives it to Judas and tells him to do what he's going to do quickly. Do you see what's going on here? All the way through these verses, we see that Jesus knows what's coming and he knows who's going to do it. There are no surprises. There are no mistakes Indeed, it's Jesus who is orchestrating the events of his own betrayal. 
It's all foreordained, and he is totally in control. But of course, the fact that Jesus is always in control doesn't absolve Judas of responsibility for his rejection of Jesus, because that is what he's done, isn't it? Jesus washed his feet and demonstrated his love for Judas and pointed Judas to his need of being washed clean by him through his death on the cross. And Peter's response to that was a response of faith, such that Jesus could say to him, and you are clean, Peter. But that is not the response of Judas, is it? Remember Jesus said of himself back in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you remember that? But here we see Judas, John tells us, receiving the morsel of bread, and then immediately he went out and it was night. In other words, having given himself up to the prince of darkness, verse 27... He takes the decision to walk away from the light of the world and head out into the darkness. So yes, Jesus names his betrayer and and demonstrates that he is in complete control. But nevertheless, these verses also show us that like Judas, we are still responsible for how we respond to the cleansing work of Jesus on the cross. So friends, this morning my question is, will we follow the example of Peter here in our passage, and the example, I think, of our Queen as well, and of countless others who have submitted to Jesus and been washed by him, and so sent out as servants and messengers of him? Or will we follow the way of Judas, who rejects him and turns away from the light of the world, the light that leads to life, and choose the darkness instead? Well, as we think about our own response to Jesus, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about um, Her Majesty's faith in the Lord Jesus, I've got some of these um, called The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. I think there's about 20 down there, um, which are free if you will take them away and and read them um, or or give them to somebody who you think would would, uh, read it. Um, But I'd like to recommend that, that book to you. It was written for her 90th birthday, actually, a few years ago. But I think it shows beautifully how her faith in Christ has shaped our Queen's life. And, and, and perhaps as you, you look and, and read through that, that, that might help alongside looking at this passage here. Uh, just to think a bit more about our own response to the Lord Jesus. To follow the example of Peter and respond in faith and trust or to or follow the example of Judas who rejects Jesus, turns away from the light and heads out into the darkness. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing together. Father, we thank you so much for showing us that um, in order to be right with you, we need to be washed clean by your son as we submit to his cleansing work on the cross. Um, Father, please help us uh, to respond as Peter did, and I think as our Queen has done, and not as Judas did, that Jesus might say of us too, you are clean. And Father, for those of us who are your disciples already this morning, 
please would you show us more of what it looks like for us to serve others as Jesus has served us on the cross. We thank you this morning for the example of this that we see in our Queen. And we pray that you would help us to serve after the example of the Lord Jesus and in the way of the cross. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.